Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and also an estate planning attorney, Danielle Van S. She is based in Hingham. Her uh, firm is DGVE Law, and her website is DGVE Law. Um, apologies for the snafu during the uh, commercial break. I think our the audio was playing over the commercials, so sorry about that. Danielle and I were just so invigorated about what we were going to be chatting about next that we were making our plans for what we were going to talk about. Um, we are live this morning, 781-837-4900. If anyone has any questions for us, we are here for about another 52 minutes. Um, but we have lots to talk about, so we can certainly fill that time in the absence of callers. So, um, Danielle, what we were, what we wanted to get into, uh, sort of piggybacking off of uh, your last discussion, what, and what I think is really important is that, I mean... You see it, we see it, uh, people sort of know we're here, you know, un unfortunately families argue about money frequently, maybe not all the time, but it's certain, it seems to be very frequent. And I find that, you know, even if there there is estate planning that had been done, um, generally speaking, I'm talking about like adult siblings generally, or if, or, or, um, adult kids or if there's a second marriage that adds a layer of complication. But even if there's planning been done, you know, I, I see that fam there's a strife in families and it's very unfortunate. But 
from my perspective, I obviously don't know everything that's going on in the family, but from my perspective, what I hear from people, it sounds to me like a lot of the issues are surrounding communication, right? Like there's generally one person in charge of settling the estate, that personal representative. If there's a trust, maybe there's one uh, of the kids who's the trustee and responsible for following the, the, the language in the trust and dispersing. And, and I just sense that there's frustration from the other siblings regarding like, we, you know, where is, uh, where is the money? And I think a lot, a lot of the problems are surrounding communication. So I promise I'm going to let you respond to that. But before we get to that, we're going to go to a caller because we have Marie from Rockland. Good morning, Marie. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I have a question. Um, it's kind of like a, I don't know, complicated maybe. It involves my um, my ex-husband. And um, he, he married after me. I have four children. Never had any children with his uh, previous wife. But she passed away like 20 years ago. And um, my daughter takes care of him. And I'm concerned, not looking for, but when he passes, what's what's going to happen with what he has with her? And I just want to make sure that everything is in order. So his wife passed away 20 years ago, but in talking to my daughter, because I cautioned, you know, try and get him to have a will so everything is in order, and he does, but the deed to the house is still in both their names, her father and this previous wife. Um, so I said about having the deed put in his name, and she says, well, you know, she's passed away. I said, yes, but she had children. They didn't have children together, but she had children, which are not in the picture. So, you know, she says, well, dad put everything, you know, to me. I'm concerned about if that could cause problems down the line, that the house is still in both names, even though one is deceased, or does it automatically pass without having that changed? I don't know if I'm wording it correctly. I think I understand what you're saying, Marie. Um, good morning. You're right to be concerned about making sure that things are in order. And I think what you're speaking to is this asset, in this case, the house that you're talking about is one of the assets that has to be aligned with what the intended plan is. And so you have all these extra variables with blended families and one predeceased spouse. Um, we don't know. There are too many factors here to really have the full picture. And of course, I can't provide any specific legal advice to somebody who's not a client for professional right. responsibility reasons. Right. Um, but there are different ways to hold title to a house. There are different ways that somebody can have a deed be titled. So that would be a relevant factor. And then whether or not the different people that are on that title to the deed um, have their own estate plans set up or don't. So there are so many different factors and where it might be beneficial to have it be owned one way, it could also be detrimental to have it be owned 
that way. So this is, I think, um, why it's so important to have the comprehensive conversation about what all of the assets are, how all of them are titled or designated um, to beneficiaries and make sure that the whole thing works together because you can run into a situation where that one asset is the major asset and it doesn't work and everything might pass through a will to the beneficiaries of that will. But if the asset is owned in a different way that won't flow through that will, it might not work out as intended. Okay, that's what I was wondering. And um, yeah. So can I just ask, can I just ask a question? So sure. Marie, your husband owns the, still owns the property with his ex wife who was deceased, right? And they had a child no, together. Uh, it's my ex-husband. <laughs> it's my ex-husband and he married, you know, um, it's his wife. They were still married. Um, okay. And I'm, I'm just looking out for my my children's um, interests. I have no interest, you know, in it. But I mentioned that to my daughter. It was a concern, you know, that the house is still in her father's name with his previous wife. I mean, we've been divorced for years. And I just try to caution her because I had made my own plans. And, you know, I had said, just make sure that, you know, so I mean, she's on everything else listed on his banking and checking and everything. And he did make a will, but the will states that she's his beneficiary and everything goes to her. But my concern is the way the house, the deed to the house is worded. Do you know what I'm saying? It's it's not me. It's and um, his previous wife. An own title to real estate would yeah. be relevant, whether it's right. and he had children, which he hasn't seen, and uh, you know, like there was no contact. But like you said, everything goes trickles down, kind of. So it's just that that's the concern that's always been in my mind, the way the, the deed is worded and what happens, it, you know, when something does happen and it ends up going, you know, through probate. I don't know if um, there's so many questions. And when I, I always listen to your show. I love your show. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Marie. It, it's it certainly sounds like something. Sorry, I can hear an echo. Tim, can you hear an echo? No, I'm good. All right. Okay. Um, it sounds to me like something that should be handled. No, you can't hear me. Now they can't hear me. Oh, sorry. I'm sitting in another part of the house, so I don't sorry. have to listen to you hear you on the radio. So. All right. Alyssa, um, your, Alyssa, your computer is muted. Yeah, I know. They, this, <laughs> sorry, we're having technical difficulties. The station told me to mute my computer and use the microphone. Does that sound oh. better? I could just hear an echo, but maybe it sounds fine to everybody else. Can you guys hear an echo? Oh, okay. okay. So it's just me. All right. No, I mean, just, you know, I'm not the attorney, Marie, but this, uh, it sounds to me like something that should be addressed mm -hmm. um, because if it's not addressed prior to his passing, it sounds to me like that will be a legal mess. It could be a problem. Uh, uh, Danielle is shaking her head like she agrees. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've tried to stress this to my daughter without feeling like I'm interfering, you know, like I'm a Budinsky, you know, <laughs> pain in the neck mother. But, um, yeah, I'm just looking out for what she could be facing down the road, you know? Yeah. So if 
if somebody has capacity to be making those types of decisions, then that's where it's really important, as I said, to have the entire conversation, the context of all the assets, all of the circumstances. Um, it's it, it's there is not one size fits all for the types of documents, the recommendations um, titled to real estate is one of the things that we spend the most time thinking through and contemplating all the different pros and cons of the different options. We can really cause unintended consequences by taking that too lightly. So yeah, that's, it's that's really, really important to think yeah. about all of it together. Yes, that's my concern, you know. Um, yeah, Marie, I mean, Danielle, this is probably an opportunity for you to just give out your contact information for anyone that has any specific follow-up questions for you after the show. Marie, if you, you can hang on the line and we can give you the info or, um, you know, Danielle could just give it out now, but that certainly sounds like something that should be addressed. Okay, great. Yeah, go ahead. So Danielle Van S, dgvelaw.com. What, do you want to give out the phone number, Danielle? Because I know it rings to everyone in your office. It rings to everybody. It's 781 and on the website is all of the contact information, some frequently asked questions, some helpful information, um, links to request meetings. And you can also send an email to info at dgvelaw.com. Info at, what's the initials again? D like Danielle, G like girl, V like Victor, E like Edward, dgvelaw.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, Marie, good luck with that. Any other questions? No, that's it. All right. Thanks for the call. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Um, and Danielle, they're all, all, every single one of those initials is on the name. Yeah, very yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. All, all those initials are like, they sound exactly the same. It's such a tough Yeah, like yeah. A well, the, the law office of Danielle G. Van S. was going to be worse. So um, a colleague of mine many years ago when I first got married said that's too many words I'm not calling you that you're just DGBE so that's how DGB locking to me mm. it was uh, yeah, no. it's just tough on the radio <laughs> I get it it flows nicely though I like it it flows nicely all right so can we can we revert back to um, what we were chatting about before uh, Marie's call was just the I, I, I just think the importance of Number one, planning, you know, estate planning and, and getting your affairs in order so that your your goals and your intended uh, bequest wishes and, and uh, people that you love have access to your, your funds when they need it and things like that, uh, you know, ensuring that all those things play out the way that you intend for them. But also, e even when people have done planning, I just think oftentimes there's communication lacking between the family. And you had just mentioned off air, which apparently was on air, that... <laughs> you have a process um, in place for that. So I just wanted you to elaborate on that because I just find that that's a huge issue with family. A lot of the frustrations that people have after like their parents, for example, pass and they're waiting for their portion of the inheritance and it doesn't come as quickly as they think that it should because not everyone has experience settling or in a state and a trust. And, and I just think a lot of the issues are, well, there hasn't, I haven't seen a statement. I haven't heard from my brother. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where the money's going and I don't know how it's being managed. I just think a lot of the issues, excuse me, surround communication. So in you and all your brilliance have developed a solution for that, right, Danielle? <laughs> um, no, I think that's exactly right. I think it's education and experience that is lacking. They don't teach this stuff anywhere. I've 
um, been saying that for years. I would love the opportunity to teach a basic, you know, legal 101 and this type of law 101 for legal adults, 18 plus, just, you know, understanding the basics of how this works, because unless you have had to go through it and either had a positive or a very negative experience, you really just don't know what it's like and what one person's experience is is not going to match up with another so that's part of what leads to that frustration and confusion so it's not even necessarily that adult siblings will be fighting over the assets although that certainly happens it's more just managing the expectations um if if parents have spent their lives saying okay we love the four of you equally you're all going to get one fourth of everything we have and months and you know six months nine months go by from when the parent died the other siblings may have without proper education and information made financial choices based on the expectation of whatever inheritance they think would have already come mm -hmm. so they can start pressuring the sibling or whomever is acting as the personal representative who's usually the same as the trustee if there's a trust it's usually the same person because practically it's the same responsibilities and the mm -hmm. same um, assets so uh, it, it might just be the sibling saying oh hey you know when are we going to get this because we just signed this contract or we just made this choice or you know the kids going to call our kids going to college um we need this money now. And so what we do in my practice is we start with a meeting with whichever person is going to serve as personal representative or trustee to make sure that they fully understand. And then we go back and oftentimes have to correct and reset expectations with the other people that are involved. This is going to take a while, brace for it. We can't mm. distribute things out. The personal representative can be personally liable um, for repayment of assets if they've been distributed too soon if there are other mm. um, creditors or expenses that needed to be paid first. So we want to make sure that the personal representative acts responsibly as a fiduciary to do the job. It's an actual job. And then also to make sure that there's no need to go back to other siblings or whoever the other beneficiaries are and say, oops, I'm sorry, I gave you, you know, $200,000, but turns out there's this extra bill we have to pay. So I need you to give me 25,000 of that back. What a mess. What yeah. if it's not there anymore? Yeah. So that's why we slow it down. We reset expectations and make sure that everybody understands that it's not the personal representative or trustee's choice to delay. It's out of necessity. What are your thoughts, Daniel? Daniel? Okay, go ahead, Kirk. You go first. I was just going to ask, are there, are there certain types of assets that, that can be distributed immediately versus, versus others that should question. be held back? Is there a distinction there? Yeah. So step one is always finding out what the assets are. Um, you know, we have to make sure that we have the full picture first. And that often is one of the biggest stumbling blocks and what leads to the most delay is just getting all that documentation first. For my clients that we do the planning, that's one of the things that we do right at the outset is make a clear inventory of what are all of the assets, how exactly are they titled? Um, if they have beneficiaries, who are the designated beneficiaries, approximate values and so forth, that's step one. Um, but even with regard to personal 
personal property. If there, if the person left a memorandum that you know is explaining which articles of tangible personal property, you know, a special watch or a special bracelet or necklace or something should go to one person or another, it might be okay to distribute that, provided that there was clear um, expression of intent and there are sufficient other assets in the estate to pay any taxes and other, you know. Um, fees and expenses that need to be paid first. We don't want to give yeah. everything away, sell everything, distribute everything, and then have the estate become insolvent and unable to pay its bills. So, um, Danielle, in that interim period where things are settling, so, so someone has, let's say, someone has passed, there was a trust, the successor trustee, let's say, for example, their adult child has now stepped in to become trustee, um, settle the trust distribute, et cetera. So there, as we were talking about, there's this interim period where things are, you know, the, the trustee in this example is doing things, settling things, paying expenses, whatever. But we know that there's going to be this period of time uh, before there's the final disbursement. Let's say there's four siblings in this example. I've had conversations with the uh, adult child, the trustee in this example, and let's say that the account is invested and let's say it's moderately aggressive or moderate. I've had discussions with them about, okay, let's say there's, you know, $400,000 and each sibling is going to get roughly a hundred thousand, but there's this period of time before we know that that those final disbursements have been made from a, from a financial advisor perspective, there's, there's there in my mind, there's a lot of confusion. Um, you know, I, I'm in an uncomfortable situation where I don't know how to manage that account without, well, of course, guidance from that trustee, but he or she might not even know because he might not know the intended um, use, of, uh, the intended use for, of the money by his siblings. In other words, some of them might just take the money and because their kids are in college and they need it, or some of them might want to leave it invested and it's going to grow long-term and be their nest egg. Like, so I, I've had several discussions like, you know, I need some guidance here, help me out. And in my mind, th- I, that help is driven by, well, get a feel for what your siblings are going to do with their chunk. Is that appropriate for me to say that or do we just halt everything it stays as is um you know and 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 I wait for guidance do you know do you know what I'm asking I think so I think it matters um whether there was an estate plan that specified what the intent was it's not what the beneficiaries want it's what the person who took the time to draft a will or a trust wanted so that's step one and then step two the person who's serving as the fiduciary has a responsibility to preserve the assets and make sure that they're there so that they can be distributed so you know the recent market volatility um you've dealt with that way closer than i have um but taking into account what are the circumstances at the time and perhaps it's moving to a far less aggressive portfolio at that time to make sure that in limbo during the administration period, those assets aren't dissipated so Mm -hmm. that they're not available when it's time to pay them out because they can't just sit there indefinitely either. Right. We distribute them out the next day, but we also can't just leave them there and not ever distribute them out. So I think that's the balance that you're speaking about. Yeah. I mean, my, my, you know, what I, 
like, let's say the assumption is that this account's going to be divided by four and they're each going to get their four chunks, whether it's cash or invested securities or whatever. I just didn't know if it was appropriate or expected of the trustee to get a feel for what their siblings were going to do with the money. I, I understand it's not their responsibility, um, but I just didn't know if in practicality that happened or if that made sense. No, it sounds like that, that it's probably too complicated for him to be reaching out and what are you going to do? And they might not know. So, well, it's yeah, also it's a, a little bit intrusive depending on the relationship. Fair too. enough. I mean, fair enough. Yeah. A close yeah. relationship is a different story. Um, certainly if there's a blended family or something like that, you know, I, I would be reluctant to want to explain what my intentions were. Fair with enough. Any yeah. 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 Fair enough. All right. Um, we're going to take a, one more break and we're going to spend our last 30 minutes here of uh, the show talking with Danielle Van S, a state planning attorney, talking about what happens to loved ones and what the process is like if you haven't uh, prepared your legal, gotten your legal affairs in order prior to something happening to you. Uh, DGVELaw.com for more info about Danielle. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. This is McNamara on Money. We're just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We are educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm joined this morning via Zoom by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And you've actually been relatively uninterrupted by the children this morning. They must be watching a morning movie or something like that. Uh, oh. and, uh, no? It's entertaining. So I, can hear, I can hear Arden playing, doing something over there. Oh. Uh, yes, we have one that sleeps late and the other two are up early. Uh, also joined by Danielle Van S, who's an estate planning attorney. Her practice is located in Hingham. Uh, her web address is dgvelaw.com, like Danielle. Delta Golf. De oh, no, G. G like girl. Delta Golf Victor Echo Law.com. Uh, and right, so for the, we've got about 25 more minutes, Danielle. So um, prior to this, you had put together a really comprehensive list of things that people would miss out on or miss access to if people have not gotten their legal affairs in order. So, you know, I think your kind of your whole point was people, especially spouses or, or parents of like 18, 19, 20 year olds, um, might take it for granted that they will just have access to things and and that's not the case because at, uh, at 18 legal age of majority in Massachusetts is 18 correct right and a, and a spouse by default does not necessarily have access to your finances your social media accounts and all this stuff so I think your whole point in putting this list together was um people, uh, you know, their estate planning is important because, you know, you, your bequest wishes, of course, and guardians for your children, of course, but there are also things that people don't necessarily think about that their loved ones wouldn't have access to if something were to happen to them. So do you want to either elaborate on that or take a minute to kind of go through this list with me, Danielle? Sure. Um, I think that's exactly it. As we, <clears throat> excuse me, we assume that it will flow the way that our relationships flow, but it doesn't necessarily. So um, if your spouse is ill, for example, and you need access to bank accounts to pay bills, to pay medical bills, to pay transportation costs, you may not have access to the bank accounts. Um, even just accessing telephone accounts, um, mobile phones, um, 
gym membership contracts, anything Mm. else like that. If you don't have access to that account, if you don't have legal authority, they might not talk to you at all. They might not tell you whether there is an account, let alone whether it's open, closed, if there's money due on it or not, when is the bill due? Um, so you you might also miss telephone calls. Um, yeah. It is, I'll just interrupt you for a moment. It is super mm-hmm. frustrating. Like there have been a couple times where I had to call, um, who, who do we use, Comcast, Kirk? Comcast, for example, or Verizon. And the account is in Kirk's name. And I just wanted like some basic information about like the package that we have or something. And they will not speak to you. (laughs) And it is so frustrating. It's like, I just want to know if I live here. I have the same address and the same last name. And I just want this information. And they will not speak to you. That's exactly the way I wanted it. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't want me canceling the uh, cable package. of my channels. Yeah. But it's like those little things that you wouldn't that you, I guess, maybe take for granted or that you wouldn't think of. Um, right. Yeah, so, yeah. Lump, lump a ton of those together all at once instead of just one bill, one, you know, day. Um, take access to every account, every, everything. Um, iTunes accounts, access to um, mobile phone records, home phone records, internet accounts, uh, credit cards. Mm-hmm. Is there a bill that's due? Is there a repeating charge that's getting charged and the person's not benefiting from whatever the service is or the product is that's being repeatedly charged? You can't even find out whether that's happening to stop those charges, to cancel a contract and so forth. Um, access to, let's say it's an adult child, even to get access to the adult child's apartment or home to go in and secure personal effects, to take care of the place, clean it. Um, Information about whether there um, are taxes that are due, whether taxes have been paid. Um, Particularly, we just went through a a pretty brutal April. So we don't know if somebody got sick, did did they file their tax return before that happened or was it in progress or what's the status? Who's the accountant? Is the accountant gonna talk to you? Certainly the IRS won't. Mm-hmm. Um, mortgage, is there a mortgage that there are payments due? How do you find out whether the mortgage payments are being withdrawn automatically for a bank account or the person was writing a hard copy check or they were going in monthly to make that payment? What about um, any uh, contracts that might have been in progress, particularly for somebody who has a small business, even if it's a very micro small business, if that person took money to provide a service, for example, or to create a product and didn't get around Mm -hmm. to providing the service or creating the product or maybe not in full, are they holding money that really belongs to someone else? And is that being held in a small business account that now needs to be returned? You don't have access to that small business account without legal authority. So now you've got upset clients or customers of the person at the same time. Um, Social media, you mentioned, that's a big one. Certainly um, it's an emotional one, I think, for people to be able to access a loved one's social media accounts to either not lose the data or not lose the um, ability to communicate with other people or to share notices or to prevent other people from sharing information or notices that you might not want shared. So it's all these things that we assume will just go the way that the relationships do, but they really don't. These are all third-party contracts and agreements, and um, there's a reason that we have to sign off on opening accounts. We have to show our driver's license. We have to sign on the dotted line, or we have to click through and accept the terms and conditions of contracts to participate in a service or get a benefit. So um, all of those same 
hurdles to create the account in the first place exist to prevent access to people. You don't want to access it. Right. Um, I was side note for a minute and can, can you just touch on the process or um, the frequency that people should review their previously drafted estate planning documents. Like let's say somebody did a will 10, 15, 20 years ago. They did a trust, same thing, 10, 15, 20 years ago. What, what is your recommendation regarding people that have already gone through this, but under the heading of, well, things do change and laws change, what do you, what's your recommendation for review? And then beyond that, what is DGVE laws? How can you guys help with that? And do you do that as a part of your practice? So when I was first getting into this practice area, the general advice that I learned from other attorneys was to review every five to seven years. Sometimes people even say 10 years. What I discovered and in thinking through my own personal life is that that's way too late. I think, mm. I think it should be every three years. So I recommend and tell all of my clients that they should look through their own plan at least once a year, dust it off, go over it. Um, for my clients, I provide a Cliff Notes version summary of their will or their trust so they don't have to read through the actual legal document, mm. although they're certainly welcome to. But once a year, you ought to be looking at your own documents and making sure that, that, that they still reflect your wishes and that things haven't changed. Um, once a year, you ought to be making sure that your list of assets your list of passwords to different accounts, um, any specific tangible personal property you want to earmark to one person or another, make sure that's current. As you said, a lot changes. Families change, finances change, laws change, tax codes change. So in Massachusetts, we completely replaced the previous law for how we administer an estate after death in 2012. So anything that was drafted prior to 2012 is automatically outdated um it might still work mm. but it's worth for sure looking into it and then for powers of attorney most especially i know that a lot of financial institutions are very reluctant to accept it if it's more than a couple of years old so anything more than five yeah. years old on a power of attorney is probably going to be highly suspect I like to have my clients re-sign it at least every three years. Even if there's nothing substantive that we're changing at that point, at least we can incorporate the newest best language provisions and sign it and have it dated again and show that the person still had capacity, still wanted that person, and it hopefully will be honored yeah. um, and not challenged. I would say like 50% of the people that I chat with that have previously drafted estate planning documents are generally they're older, whatever, and, and they're no longer in contact with that attorney. He or she retired or is not in practice anymore They or they live somewhere else now. And so I'm frequently asked by people, do you know someone that can just review my estate plan? I might not need to spend, you know, X thousands redrafting, but, you know, is there someone that can review this? Is that something that you guys can do? Absolutely, and on our website, um, there's a link to request what we call a trust review meeting or a plan review meeting, um, and that's exactly what we do. We get a copy of all of the legal documents in advance. We have the client um, complete an intake worksheet so that I have background about the family and the financial circumstances, and then we sit together or now video conference together mm -hmm. Um, it's usually about an hour. And what I find is that they don't even understand what their plan says. Yeah. 
and they're surprised that it says what it says. The prior attorney may not have um, spent the time educating the client the way that I like to educate my clients, may not have provided diagrams and Cliff Notes versions, summaries to make it more intelligible to somebody who is not a lawyer practicing in this area. So we go over everything. Um, one thing that's really important to understand is that most attorneys, um, almost all attorneys, certainly everyone I know and respect in this practice area will not modify an existing document prepared by another attorney. Mm. Um, it's kind of like there's a the basketball analogy, the last person to touch it before it goes out of bounds is, is responsible. Well, there's liability in that, I would assume. Exactly. It's not your language, yeah. So I wanna make sure that um, I have thoroughly reviewed it and rather than just accepting professional responsibility for whatever the previous attorney did and I've, I've had clients that came in after their prior attorney was disbarred so I'm certainly not going to modify that yeah. but it's <laughs> yeah. actually um, it's easier for me as a starting point to start from scratch rather than trying to do some kind of a Frankenstein hybrid mashup of whatever they had and modify it with amendments and codicils to wills and so forth. And then going forward, you really wanna have a relationship with your attorney because if you're reviewing this every couple of years and you want your family to have somebody to turn to if they need to actually use the documents that you created um, and help you, then you really want to establish a relationship on an ongoing basis with the attorney that you trust that knows you, knows your wishes, knows about your family, and will be able to immediately jump in and start to help instead of having to start fresh with strangers in a crisis. Yeah. So if you, it's worth the investment, I suppose, to redo something that's old and no longer good with the new attorney, spend the money, make the investment, and then you have it on the returns for many years to come. Yeah. So I wonder if that, you know, people just kind of assume that they'll have their documents reviewed and any little thing, you know, might be changed. But is that like a, is that just a misconception? And it's really just not that simple. And, and if enough time has passed, it's, it's, I think what, what I'm hearing you say is that if enough time has passed, it's going to be worth it. If you don't have a relationship with that old attorney to just start fresh, because the it's, you're probably not going to just have have it reviewed and everything is going to be okay because things change so quickly. And, this, and we yeah. get that we get those calls yeah. frequently where people say, "Well, we did this already. I don't I don't want to do it again. We already did it. Yeah. Um, we don't want to change this one thing. It's it's not that simple, and um, it's especially frustrating for people if they had their legal documents drafted in another state that complies with that state's laws, and now they're in Massachusetts, and they say, "Well, I already did it, and I just want to amend this one thing." Okay, well, you did that in you know Arizona, and that doesn't work here. So um, especially in that circumstance. And, and going back to the relationship with the attorney, if somebody does go through that entire process here and then moves, if you have a good relationship with your attorney on an ongoing basis, your attorney can facilitate the transition to another attorney in the new jurisdiction to domesticate mm. and make that plan work in the new state instead of having to start you know, completely from scratch all over again with another attorney. Yeah. So the relationship pays off during your lifetime. I don't charge for the reviews I do for my clients every couple of years um, to be a resource for the family. 
during lifetime, if you're incapacitated, you know, I've had clients where they're in the hospital, it's an emergency situation. I get a call from the adult child. I have access to all the records because we're pretty much paperless. I can pull that up on my phone or wherever I am. And um, I can send over a copy of someone's healthcare proxy to, I, I sent it to the emergency, uh, the intensive care unit nurse mm. in the moment from my phone at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, so it's helpful to have that relationship and know that you can turn to somebody instead of just plain thinking you have documents that sit there and nobody knows where they are, what they say or what to do with them. Yeah. Can you talk about, we've got like 10 or 12 minutes left. Can you, can you just talk about, um, the pro your process with, that was like the review process, but which turns into probably a new, you know, your normal process with a new client. Can you just touch on your, your process, your, uh, what, a, what a people that meet with you for the first time, what do they go through, you know, brainstorming sessions, is there homework? I know your process is, is a little bit different now in web or phone based, but what is, what, what can someone expect when they commit to, okay, it's time for me to do this will, or maybe I need a trust, or you know, I, I don't have that power of attorney that I should probably have. Can you just touch on what people can expect? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my process starts with an intake call with my client services coordinator who gets some basic information, help figure out whether we're going to be a good fit to work together, whether it makes sense. Um, and then what we do is we send an electronic intake worksheet um, that had been electronic already before all of this happened. Um, and so the information that we're looking for, it's very highly personal. Of course, I'm an attorney, my office is a law office, so everything is completely confidential. Um, our system is secure and you know bank level encrypted to the best of our ability. Um, but we're looking for basic family and financial background information. I wanna know who are the people that may be around to help, who are the people that might benefit, and what are we talking about in terms of assets? So we get all of that information. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it does need to be fairly complete to make the best use of our time. And then what we do is I go over everything before I meet with the client. So instead of asking them all those questions while we're together, I already have that background information and then we're just kind of filling in the blanks and, and getting a little more nuanced about the relationships. And I can tell from the information that they provide what type of a plan seems to make the most sense so that I know how to kind of direct the conversation, what to explain, what what to educate the client about. And then by the time we're done kind of going through that first part, usually we have enough information about what their intentions are and what they've got going on that I can tell them, okay, this is what I think makes sense for you. This is what it's gonna cost to do it. This is what it's gonna take. And if they're ready to move forward, then we'll go through what I call the plan design phase where it's, um, I joke that I'm playing optometrist. Um, you know, is it better here or here? Do you want this person or that person? Yeah. Who's the backup? What about this? And, and we kind of go through all that. So for clients, that's the hardest part of the process is thinking through all of that. And, um, you know, it's emotional, but it's also detailed and a lot of tough decisions need to be made. They don't need to be finalized. They can change their mind. They can keep thinking through it. But we do get through all of that during the first meeting. Um, then we sign an engagement agreement. We take a payment. And from there, 
then the client's hard work is pretty much done at that point. Um, in terms of homework after that, really it's just give us addresses and phone numbers for the people that you're naming in your plan and confirm that we got it right. You know, this is what I wrote down. These are my notes. Is this what you intended? Did you change your mind? Really, that's the hardest thing for the client is just that first meeting. After that, it's all on us, me and my team, my paralegal and I draft all the documents. We review them with the client, make sure they reflect their wishes. They sign them into effect. And from the moment that they sign, the clients are protected. Um, then we also do you know, additional work on our end um, in my office to make sure that everything is assembled for them into an accessible, practically useful way to understand and have access to all of their legal and financial documents. Um, and that's really it. So it's usually a three-step process. Uh, the first meeting is the hardest for the client. The second one is just to review it, understand it and sign it. And then the third one is to make sure they know where to keep it and who to call for help and what conversations should they have with their people and how often should they review and so forth. Yeah, I um, I, I think that for me anyway, and I, and I think the same for, I'm assuming the same for, um, for your clients is that I think that people learn, well, I'm, I think I'm a visual learner and I think a lot of people are, but when it comes to legal choices and assets passing and movement of funds and ownership, I think that that makes so much more sense with visual with visuals. And one of the things that's when I first met you in person, we met through a mutual friend. And when I first met you and I do remember I came to your office and I brought my coworker Cheryl with me and we were just super impressed with all of your visuals that you had. You had all these, I think they were like laminated, oh, yeah. um, you know, you know, and you know, things that you would hand to a client and help them explain things. Um, and that stuff, legal issues, even for me, having been a financial professional for 16, 17 years and, you know, having my CFP and having gone through some estate planning education, you know, I'm not an attorney, but, you know, even having some background in that regard. And even for me, just it, the, some of the legal issues are just very complicated and the visuals are just incredibly helpful, especially when you're getting into trusts and marital trusts and ABC trust, things like that is just um, those things. The visuals are really helpful. So what, what really, we, Cheryl and I walked out of that meeting with you so many, so many years ago now, and we were like, oh, this lady really has her act together. She had some really great material, which just, uh, you know, for me, it was a great experience. And I'm assuming that's the same feedback you get from your clients. Just you explain things very well. And I think the visuals are super helpful, not to mention your office is adorable and like really colorful and cute. So <laughs> not that anyone can see that right now. <laughs> I'm visual too. I think most people are. So um, all of the the kind of tools and resources that we've created that I normally would show people laminated across my desk, I'm basically just pulling up and doing a screen yeah. share with my clients yeah. now. Um, and we've created actually another new one, which I think is extraordinarily helpful. One of the things that people find so confusing because it's unnecessarily confusing is the difference between somebody serving as an attorney, in fact, under a power of attorney, a trustee of a trust mm -hmm. or personal representative of a will. And so they use those terms and mix them up and use them interchangeably and don't really understand. And so I created a visual with my paralegal to be able to kind of visually mm. show how that works. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, too. that's true. People tend to think that that's one in the same person, which maybe it always is, but, or maybe it sometimes is, but, but might not, not but always. It's yeah. just understanding, you know, a power of attorney, um, 
it dies when the power that when the person dies, it's no right. good. Anymore. Right. Uh, at the moment that the person dies, the power of attorney dies. And then the will doesn't do anything for you while you're living. It only right. becomes effective after you're dead. A trust may do both, um, depending on what type of a trust and, right. and who's serving and so forth. Um, but that all comes back to how are the assets titled? Where are they? Who has access? Who do you want to have access and all of that? So, yeah. It's a different language. Yeah. Um, well, we just have a few more minutes, Kirk. I don't know if you have any final questions for Danielle, and then we'll, we'll give out contact info again. Yeah, well, let's, I mean, this kind of goes along with contact info. You know, Danielle, I know at the, at the beginning of the show, you kind of briefly mentioned, you know, the kind of things that your office does. Mm. Um, but maybe you could quickly say, you know, you know, who, who's an appropriate, you know, who, you know, what type of people should be coming, you know, like what, you know, at, at what age, uh, you know, what circumstances, when, you know, when, when should you be addressing these things? That's a great question. So um, I think that every legal adult needs to have at least a basic plan. And because there is not one size fits all for a plan, the plan that I would do for an 18 year old is not at all what I might do for a married couple that has adult children and grandchildren with multiple properties in multiple states and a taxable estate and so forth. So the people that we want to work with in my office are people that are nice people that understand that there is more to it than just plain checking the box on, I need this document, that one and the other. They're not, you know, um, products that you can purchase interchangeably off of a shelf. They're customized to the individual. So somebody who is going to be nice and receptive to the legal counseling and advice that I provide and be willing to make that investment, um, that is appropriate. I'm not interested in selling people things that they don't need. Um, I'm, in, I'm interested in creating relationships long-term with clients, not just doing one-off, you know, um, transactional based practice. I really enjoy working with my clients over many years, getting to know them. I have a lot of families where I represent the parents, the children, um, sometimes the grandchildren becoming adults. So really any legal adult that is willing to make an investment in both the time, the energy, the relationship, and also the money um, to be able to do it. But there isn't one um, kind of set of parameters. I have clients that are just in entering college and I have clients that are um, at the stage where they're giving everything away and making plans for um, leaving us. But yeah, so pretty much, pretty much, pretty much the whole age spectrum starting at, starting at legal adult status. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh-oh, we're losing Alyssa. We lost Alyssa. You lost me. Oh, there we go. Um, no, thank you for that, Danielle. We only work with nice people, too, at McNamara Financial. That's one of our criteria. Um, but I just wanted to give out your contact info. Again, this has been uh, estate planning attorney Danielle Van S. A wealth of information. Uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show this morning, Danielle. You can find out more about her at dgvelaw.com. Kirk, you're going to have to give out the, uh, what are those called? Delta... What's G? Uh, uh, yeah, Alpha Numeric. Yeah, Danielle. Let's see, Delta Golf, Golf. Victor Echo. Uh, dgvelaw.com or you can send her an email at info at dgvelaw.com. Her direct line seven eight one seven four zero zero eight four eight. 
I just wanted to, yeah, thanks again, Danielle. I, this has been great. I know you're not a morning person, so I appreciate you being here. Uh, you can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOnMoney.com. I have to spend some time updating the McNamara on Money website. I haven't popped into that one and done any updates in a while. I got to freshen that one up. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope everyone stays healthy, stays healthy and uh, be well. And Danielle, thanks so much again. We will talk soon. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye-bye.